Moses reassures the people that after his death, God will raise up another prophet to lead them. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of the other gods or presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Please join with me in singing Psalm 111, found on page 3. Please stand. believers against becoming vain about their knowledge. He declares that they all that all they really need to know 
is that they are loved by God. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For in others, you see, who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might that might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols. So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Any of you who have heard me preach for any length of time know that Mark is not my favorite gospel. Um, Mark seems to have lost an argument with the synagogue and spends most of the gospel having Jesus shout at opponents who have walked away in disgust. Um, They're tired of the argument, but Mark is still driving this argument on. And this passage, which comes right at the beginning of the gospel, sets up the dynamic that will run through the rest of the gospel. 
Jesus has been baptized. He's come up out of the water. He comes preaching. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is now. Believe the gospel. Change your mind. Then, this is his first public teaching. And it makes me very curious. He comes into the synagogue in Capernaum and he teaches. And the people say, wow, he teaches with authority. Not like our scribes. I'm curious. I want to know what is the content of that teaching. What did he say? Mark doesn't tell us. Instead, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit who cries out, what have you to do? And then he goes on to say he teaches a a thing with authority. He casts out unclean spirits. This dynamic will survive through the whole gospel. In chapter 4, when Jesus teaches about the parable uh, parable of the sower scattering the seed, he explains it to his disciples afterwards and says, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to those outside everything will be in parables so that they will hear and never understand. So we're not given the content of his teaching, and that's the point. But we're told the synagogue is where Jesus' first exorcism takes place. This is not a narrative device bound to win you friends among people who go to synagogue. Um, The synagogue people are demon-possessed. But here we are shouting. So how do we redeem this dynamic in Mark's gospel? How do we make sense of it and, and use it today? Jesus shows up and says... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is now. Change your mind. Believe the good news. He's wanting people to change. Well, we know that religious institutions are the most conservative institutions in the world. Don't talk about change to us. You know the story about um, changing the light bulb. How How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? What's wrong with the old one? We like being stuck. You also know that I've been to Louis, and I've come back, and I'm realizing that I have been changed. And like I said last week at my annual report, you all are going to pay the price. Um, Mark is trying to get the synagogue to change, and they won't, and so he ends up shouting at them, I hope I don't end up shouting at you. I'm going to tell a couple of stories about um, what happened to me and Louis. One of them was in the scroll. Um, another one I'll, I'll fill you in on. The second night that I was there, I think I had a full-on panic attack, Um, realized there was nothing I could do to get out of this place. Um, I went to bed about 10 o'clock, probably slept till 11, woke up, kind of had this panicky feeling, started reading my book. Um, It was a real gripper, let me tell you. It was John Polkinghorne's A Very Short Introduction to Quantum Physics. Um, I thought for sure it would put me to sleep. Um, About an hour later, I turned off my flashlight. No such luck. I was still pacing, so I got up and walked around the compound, looked at the Milky Way, came back to bed, turned off my flashlight, thought for sure I'd go to sleep. No, I ended up reading that whole book in, in one night. The first thing that Moru people ask you in the morning is, how'd you sleep? And so when our missionaries sort of gathered for breakfast, people asked me how I slept. And I did something very uncharacteristic of me. I said, I didn't. I I had a real panic attack. I'm one of these people who likes to think he's very self-reliant. Put me in any situation and I'll be able to handle it. I'll be able to take care of myself, no problem. Clearly not true. Um, So I said to folks, you know, I didn't. 
I had a panic attack. I thought to myself, I can't get out of here. Even with my credit card, there's no way I can get out of here. The plane comes on January 6th, and I'm here until January 6th. People who had been to Louis before said, been there, had that night, welcome to the club. And if it happens to you tonight, knock on my door. I will sit with you under the stars. Um, somebody said, you know, I brought some extra sleeping pills. Would you like one tonight? I took up the, the offer. And then that next night, slept like a stone. Um, that self-reliance that we all think we have is a myth. We depend on each other in ways that are not obvious to us until that begins to happen. Um, I came back knowing that in a way that I have never known it before. Um, and, and that's part of the change. The second story I want to tell, you knew about my anxiety going over. One of the things that I, I wondered is, who am I to do this? They wanted me to be chaplain to the trip. I thought, yeah, I don't have the authority to do that. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing when I got there. It turns out that there were nine young men and women being ordained on um, St. Stephen's Day, December 26th, and they were in town for the week before the ordination, and the bishop there said, we want you to teach some classes to the ordinands. Oh, great. What about church administration, stewardship, homiletics, um, everything? I thought, who am I to teach these things? I, I'm no specialist. So the first one was church administration, and I started teaching about church administration and then let them ask questions. They asked some really important questions. They're changing the way they do business over there. It used to be that the pastor pretty much carried the treasury in his pocket. He gave people money when they needed, pays, paid bills when, when needed, and occasionally took a little money when he needed. They're trying to change that. How do we set up accounts so that that won't happen? We don't have banks like you do. Hmm. Well, one person keeps the money and another person keeps the books. Two people count the money every Sunday and give a report to the accountant and give the money to the treasurer. Always make sure those balance. Turns out I knew a lot more about church administration than I thought I did. They said, you all have insurance companies. We don't. What do we do when a church burns down? I said, you know, an insurance company is basically an agreement to share risk. We in America don't trust each other to do that, so we have to pay money up front. You just all agree that if a church burns down, everybody in the archdeaconry comes to help rebuild it. That's an insurance company. Oh, we can do that. Turns out I knew a lot more than I thought I did. Mark is pushing the synagogue to change, and it won't. And so he gets frustrated and starts screaming. In the passage that we heard from Deuteronomy, it's the end of, of several chapters this book was probably written after Jerusalem had been attacked the first time and they're trying to reestablish the monarchy. And the authors are laying out the constitution of the government. Priests will behave in this way, he says. Lawyers will behave in this way. Kings will behave in this way. This is how you will know that God is with you, through these three offices. But then, what if that's not good enough? What if the word of God can't come through those offices? We know that kings get corrupt. We know that priests um, get self-interested in what's going on inside the temple. And we know that lawyers are only interested in reading the law. So how do we know God's word? I will send a prophet, he says. And that prophet will speak on my authority, and you are to listen. If the prophet speaks on my authority a word that he shouldn't have spoke, you're to kill that prophet. Well, how would you know... In the next couple of verses, he says, if what the prophet says comes true, you'll know he's a true prophet. If not, he's a false prophet. 
too late for the warning to do any good, but that's beside the point. It turns out that all of us can be prophets. All of us can know what God's word is about. Last week in my annual report, I said, I came back changed, you all are going to pay for it. And what I asked you to do, and what I'm going to push this year, is for all of us to be involved in some kind of mission work. We used as an example last week um, cooking at the Ronald McDonald House. There are many other opportunities, but I want it to be face-to-face, hands-on, us encountering people outside of our comfort zone. And then I want us to come back and reflect on that. How was God known to us in that experience? What can we do to further what we know about God's life and God's intention for the world? How do we hinder it? What do we give thanks? We missionaries met every evening at 8.30 and reflected um, uh, on what had happened during the day, and it became a very powerful thing. The thing, the warning for me in this, and this is where I don't want to be like Mark shouting at the wind, I have to remember, and you can remind me, that my time there in Sudan was unreal. Um, We were there for three weeks. Um, We had no relationships with anybody before we showed up. Um, We ate, sort of knew each other, um, but not not deeply. And we had to form relationships very, very quickly. Um, Our reflection at night formed relationships very quickly among us eight, and then we had to form relationships with people outside very quickly. And that's a little bit unreal. I got back nine time zones away. They tell you it takes nine days to get back on the right schedule. That was true. And then I felt a little bit depressed. And I wondered, what is that depression about? I talked to my sister this week. She's done a lot of traveling. She's been to places like Nepal. And she said, what that depression is about is you don't have people that you can share that experience with. You can't say, remember the palm tree outside the compound? Um, Remember when they killed the cow for Christmas? Um, And people know what you're talking about. And so I come back, and there's a whole set of relationships and expectations that are perfectly fair, um, but that I'm now impatient with. Um, that's sort of where Mark is. I have to remember that I can't put that on you, that I have to be patient. But that's why I want us all involved in that kind of stuff, because it changes us. It changed me. Um, I come back a lot more certain of my own authority. I also come back knowing that I live by grace much more clearly than I ever knew before I went there. And I want that for all of us. So if I get a little impatient, remind me that that was unreal, um, that that I'm now back in the real world. But I will be pushing us to do that so that we all know our authority to name what it is that God is doing in our lives and in our world. 